I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. The thing about hip-hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. My name is Manny Faces. For 10 years, I covered hip-hop music and culture in and around New York City as an independent journalist and content creator. Despite the attention the mainstream music business started giving to areas outside of hip-hop's mecca, New York remained a thriving, bubbling, evolving artistic and cultural ecosystem. This includes many people and organizations who use hip-hop in incredibly innovative and inspirational ways outside of just making music and entertaining folks. In areas like education, in schools, in youth outreach and counseling, in theater, in science and technology, in politics and activism, hip-hop is a remarkable force in New York and beyond. The voices of these innovators are as important as ever, especially as corporations continue to strip away hip-hop's wider cultural voice for the sake of profits because these innovators know how to use the nation's dominant youth culture in an authentic manner, in ways that can help solve some of our nation's biggest problems. So we need to celebrate and support them, because I believe that hip-hop can save America. And so this podcast was born. Thanks again for joining me as I talk to the folks who are responsibly using hip-hop music and culture to address, adjust, and in some cases, alleviate problems facing our country. Hip Hop Can Save America is a presentation of the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy at hiphopadvocacy.org, a nonprofit dedicated to increasing public understanding of hip hop culture. We're also brought to you by the award winning Newsbeat Podcast. It's hard hitting journalism, including interviews with thought leaders and activists about the most pressing social justice issues of our time. And it also incorporates hip hop with music and original lyrical contributions every episode. Think of it as Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast, baby. You can find Newsbeat by Maury Creative Studios wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at usnewsbeat.com. Hip Hop Can Save America airs weekly, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Bondfire Open Source Radio. With amazing programming like their flagship morning show, TK in the AM, Bondfire Open Source Radio is leading community radio into the future. Check them out at bondfireradio.com or on the TuneIn app. We're also available on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Now, through the years, 
particularly when speaking to folks who don't necessarily understand the full depth of hip-hop. I often like to point out the acceptance of the genre and its associated culture within the halls of academia. I wait for what's often a signal that they're not necessarily impressed by that fact alone, probably envisioning such a class tucked away in a tiny quarter of an unimpressive university somewhere. And then I say, you know, like the hip-hop collection archive at Cornell University. I list a few more examples of Ivy League and upper echelon institutions, but Cornell usually leads the list. Their archive is seen as one of the premier collegiate collections to date, hosting artifacts from everyone from Africa Bambada and Grandmaster Kaz to Bill Adler, Charlie Ahern, and Joe Conzo. So it was a great pleasure to kick it with Ben Ortiz, who serves as the assistant curator for the Hip Hop Collection, a part of Cornell Library's rare and valuable manuscript department. As someone who's very much of the culture, I wanted to know more about his work in this esteemed position, what the collection consists of, and why it's so important to archive hip-hop culture in an institution like Cornell. Here's my talk with Ben Ortiz. All right, so Ben Ortiz, man, it's, it's actually been a minute. I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time. Thanks for taking the time out. Yes, indeed. It's my pleasure. All right. So if you could just state for the record, you know, your name, your affiliation, how you present yourself to the world. <laughs> All right. This is Ben Ortiz. I'm the assistant curator of the Cornell Hip Hop Collection. Um, I'm a Scorpio and my blood type is O negative and uh, serial number, you said? Uh, we, we can save that for, you know, All for right. the dog tags, you know. No, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I got to keep some things off the, you know, off the Internet. Word. Some information. Um so once again, I appreciate your time. I, you, as I know, but I'm going to say it like I don't know, like many of us in, in the game, wear several hats. Yes, sir. Uh, so how do you, uh, besides your title, you know, what you called yourself just there, which is impressive enough as it is, but how do you define yourself sort of uh, from a professional standpoint, you know, who you are and what you do on a kind of day-to-day -day basis? You know, my job requires me to wear several different hats. So just in the fact that, I've, that I'm working in, in this uh this particular role with the Cornell Hip Hop Archives uh, requires me to be a teacher. It requires me to be a uh, you know educator formally and informally. Uh, it requires me to be a person that um, is connected in lots of different communities. So the hip hop community, however that's broadly defined, our local community here in Ithaca, New York, our campus community here at Cornell University and so forth it's it's funny you know i find myself doing things just like this right talking on um interviews for news outlets podcasts uh radio shows and so forth right, right. you know i find myself speaking in front of formal classrooms giving lectures at conferences uh you know but i'm also developing the collection so building relationships with people in our community who are looking for a, a home for their materials for their archives so that they can be preserved and used for education for all time so it's funny you know i, I seem to be discovering certain hats uh, as time goes on you know <laughs> right um i'm also you know i'm a dj and so that's an interesting hat for me to wear i, I kind of feel like there are certain opportunities for me to do outreach in a different sort of way or to speak to audiences uh not necessarily using my voice you okay. know yeah. we had a uh, a b-boy jam here in ithaca which i saw i, I saw a little clips of that yeah that was i was the dj for that you know okay. i'm also the advisor i'm the staff advisor for the cornell b-boy crew right. which is called absolute zero and um i'm the unofficial advisor 
I should say an unofficial advisor for the Ithaca College crew, which is called the Ground Up Crew. It's it's just interesting how many how many hats I actually have, you know, to use your phrase there, which is yeah. kind of in- interesting way of looking at it. I actually sometimes refer to myself as a Swiss Army knife. Okay. I, you <laughs> yeah. know, I got I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that. You know, it requires right, right. kind of a broad skill set too, a broad knowledge base and so forth. But it's without question, I have my dream job, so I'm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving every second of it pretty much. Well, I think it is that kind of varied skill set, all the things that you bring to the table, which, you know, really kind of, you know, it emphasizes how important it is for someone like you to be in that position. I think it's although you talk about a lot of bridging the gaps or speaking to the rooms, you know, of, of uh, being in front of different audiences, speaking and, and advocating for the things you do. It takes that. It takes someone that can speak to all those different audiences and, and kind of get them on the same page now. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you could just briefly, I know people could look it up. This is not, you know, this is not brand new, so it's been around forever. But if you could just real quick, briefly state a little bit of history about how the archive came to be and how you came to be involved with it. Uh, yeah, the Cornell Hip Hop Collection started off as one singular archive in 2007 when uh, a guy named Johann Kugelberg uh, deposited his his archive that he assembled for the production of the Born in the Bronx book. Born in the Bronx, a visual record of the early days of hip-hop. That was released in 2006. So Johann had assembled an archive of vinyl records of early rap recordings, which I'm saying the word rap intentionally because it included you know, some of the songs that definitely fit into, you know, the canon of early hip-hop, right? From your Rapper's Delights, Sugar Hill Gang, to your Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Fives, to your Funky 4 Plus Ones, and, you know, stuff like that. But also, all of the novelty records that were coming out globally, mm-hmm. uh, trying to cash in on this fad called rapping. Right, right. Uh, so Rodney Dangerfield and... Um, there was a a Muppet kind of thing, this rat in uh, it's like a British TV show. <laughs> right. I think his name was Roland. I think the Ro- Roland the rapping rat, something like that. You know, so that you know, so he put together this archive of 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 early rap recordings, and I think it's interesting. It's not like it's not like what the you know the rat or whatever. They're not gr- they're not good songs. They're they're kind of poorly produced unartful songs right. parody at, type stuff at best right, parody right. but you know at worst it's it's some culture vulture type right, stuff right, for you sure. know uh you're just cashing in on um on a fad right you know you want to be able to study those things just as much as as the realness sure. um because it helps to you know it helps to gain a scholarly understanding of how hip-hop has has progressed through the ages right so johan also put together a collection of you know early party flyers um something like 500 flyers you know now he put those things into or i should say he put a a selection of those things into the born in the bronx book along with working with uh the one and only joe conzo jr the man who took hip-hop's baby pictures right and then he also put some artwork or i should say the original the, the original artwork that Buddy Esquire, the King of the Flyer, made 
Um, so he, like the actual boards that he was working on, you can see the glue and the whiteout and the, the pencil marks and stuff like that. You know, the thing that they took down to the, to the copy shop. So he, he worked with Buddy and Joe to put things in the book. But then when the book came out, Johan was looking for an institutional educational home for his material so he brought his archive here in 2007 and that became the very first archive relating to the topic of hip-hop here at the Cornell University Library shortly after that Joe Conzo established his archive shortly after that Buddy Esquire established his archive so archive in this sense doesn't necessarily mean a carefully assembled group of materials it can mean sort of the the accumulation of stuff a person produces or acquires right in the course of doing whatever it is that they do okay a dump for lack of a better term but a dump as opposed to like individually acquired pieces that someone might associate with a museum or something like that yeah maybe maybe the word dump is a (laughs) maybe that's a bridge too far uh (laughs) Cause there are, I mean, like a mind dump, like you know, like yeah. yeah. There are certain things that we don't we don't necessarily consider too research dense, <laughs> or with a lot of information contained within them. So okay. if somebody, if somebody was like, "Here's my collection of." <laughs> um, you know, broken record needles. <laughs> right. uh, we'd be like, yeah, that's kind of interesting for a museum, but this is a, this is a research archive, and we want people to use this material because they can actually gain some sort of information from it. Not not to say that we don't have some things that are more sentimental items, but we right. actually we focus. We would love to have a box full of documents, much more so than a box full of used microphones or something that's, like that. You know what I mean? Yep. So uh, anyhow, I'm talking. This thing was founded in 2007 with that very first archive, but now it's grown into a collection of roughly roughly 40 archives, individual archives uh, over the over the 11 years that we've been in existence, right? And so. We estimate that the very first collection that Johan brought us contained about 5,000 individual items, 5,000 individual artifacts, right? But we estimate that today we have roughly a half million artifacts in the Cornell Hip Hop Collection of Archives. So it's been a steady, steady growth over the last 11 years. Mm. Now, you also asked how I got involved, right? So when the collection was brought here back in 2007, um, the person who worked with Johan to make that happen is my supervisor, and she is the curator of rare books and manuscripts. Um, the, the collection falls under that, that umbrella, right? Yeah, we're, we're in, the Cornell Library system is, is huge and contains like 20 different libraries, actually. Right. But the, the, the library of rare and manuscript collections is where we're housed. So my, my supervisor, Catherine, is the, um, the curator of rare books and manuscripts. Her job is basically developing these collections across all the topics you can think of. Right. Um, anything that is deemed important to human culture you know and that that can be virtually anything um which is which is actually how we look at stuff you know our our overall mission is to collect and preserve artifacts documenting the whole human experience you know but when she brought that stuff here back in 2007 you know she 
only really knew one thing about hip-hop and that one thing is that it's an important cultural musical historical movement right um which is arguably the most important thing to know about hip-hop but just beyond that it wasn't like she knew a ton um so she assembled um an advisory board of people to help sort of guide the direction of this material and the growth of the collection going forward so you know questions like how should this material be represented in exhibitions how should this material be represented in um the news media you know who's 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 the one to talk about this stuff when reporters are asking about this material who's the person that can teach classes using this stuff from an informed perspective about hip-hop right so she had to as she put this group of people together most of whom were local people here in Ithaca staff members faculty graduate students people that really did have a deep amount of hip-hop knowledge uh, myself included at the time that 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 I was asked to join the advisory board I was actually the third person asked to join the advisory board back in 2007 at that time I was the the coordinator of K through 12 outreach for Cornell University so I was working in a whole other field a whole other thing so I, I, I remained on the advisory board for four years up until 2011 and in 2011 I was I was offered the position of assistant curator to work formally with the archives here which was sort of the that was like the the moment we kicked everything into super high gear uh because we had finally a a person who's you know deeply knowledgeable uh about hip-hop you know somebody who is able to field all the questions from researchers and teach all the classes and put exhibitions together whereas before that there was no no one person who who was able to devote their full time to that stuff you know so that's like a long perhaps way of describing it but believe it or not i'm leaving out little micro (laughs) details that would you know i i could sit here and talk much longer about the circumstances and so forth but that's really it in a nutshell okay all right no that's interesting that's a that's a great perspective even if it's just a baseline so uh, one question i had and you know about the whole archiving process that the thing that you do to curate to bring things in you know we've heard about the big names you know i've interviewed joe conzo uh, for another podcast actually that i did uh, a couple years ago what podcast was that Uh, it was called the manny faces show (laughs) oh (laughs) no doubt yeah it was out of uh, bonfire radio out in brooklyn i need to to get hip to that because i didn't know you had multiple podcasts yeah i've done a couple in the past i actually have a really interesting one that i'm working on now that actually uh, merges uh, journalism, uh-huh. actual journalism, social Fresh. justice issues uh, with music and hip-hop. So we have uh, interviews with all kind of uh, thought leaders and academics, uh, and then we actually lay it over better music, and I invite independent hip-hop artists to drop verses throughout the episode to kind of punctuate the point. That's it's called, dope. It's called Newsbeat. It's uh, it's like if 60 Minutes in Hamilton had a podcast, baby. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally trying to subscribe to these right now while you're okay. saying that. You said, you said it's called Newsbeat. Beat. Newsbeat, two words. The Newsbeat podcast is by Maury Creative Studios. There's another couple that come up in the search, but if you there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, yeah I see. I see the one. Should Maury. have a red logo with a fist yep. and a microphone. Yeah. Yo, I just subscribed to it. I appreciate that. 
Yeah, so I interviewed Joe Conzo, uh, of course. So I learned out about his involvement, and he, I love it because he was telling me he's like, you know, my my photos are on the same shelf as the mm-hmm. you know the Gettysburg Address Gettysburg or something. Address. Yeah, and you know that's amazing to hear him tell that story, and it's amazing that you guys can help you know make that happen and, and put hip hop in a place in its rightful place in history. So Word. some of the big names we heard the African Bambada stuff, the mm-hmm. Joe Conzo, you know, uh, Buddy Esquire. Give me give me like a couple that maybe. The, the wouldn't have made the news necessarily aren't the biggest names but are super interesting to have in your collection oh damn and it, i don't even want to talk about anybody as if they're not um no, like, like the big names or whatever no, not, yeah but you know let me let me put it as some of the i'll phrase it as some of the people who you might not know we have their archives exactly all right so everybody knows we got bambata we got kugelberg from the born in the bronx book everybody knows we got charlie ahern's wild style archive everybody knows we got buddy esquire everybody knows we got ernie panicoli's photographic archive all right indeed yeah. everybody knows we got bill adler's archive right. crazy legs archive um grandmaster kaz archive the Popmaster Fable archive. But I think some of the things people might not really, really know too much about. I got a whole bunch that I could mention. Let me start by mentioning my man Eric Orr. Eric Orr created a comic book in 1986 called Rappin' Max Robot. Mm. And that's the first comic book that ever used hip hop culture as the sort of um the plot point or the backdrop of the of the whole um premise of the comic book so it was like it was like a complete diy you know do-it-yourself independently produced comic book he put together and um distributed by hand in in comic shops and record stores and stuff like that and uh it's it's a pretty pretty brilliant fascinating project but you know, it was, it's through that that's sort of the, the premise of his archive. And, um, you know, we also have a lot of things that document his um, his other activities, his other artistic pursuits. Um, right. One of the famous things about him is that he used to run with um, Keith Haring. They, they were producing some, some art projects together, right. sort of uh, graffiti style meets gallery style type stuff. Right, right. Um, that's cool. Eric is is a is a brilliant cat, and um, I I I hope people will will want to learn more about his archives. Time goes on. Uh, that's one of the things about like the archives in general. Again, big names, lesser known names, but no less important for sure. Is that this the the, the archive, the library, everything's it is open to the public. It, mm-hmm. There is a, a this idea that you're yes, it's for research purposes, and it's going to be great from an academic level, mm-hmm. but that it serves a purpose to the public. What I love about the the Cornell Hip Hop Collection is that people are often amazed to find out that it exists. You know, if you're not familiar with it, I tell people about it. I said, oh, you know, Cornell has this great collection, and they're amazed. They're you know, but what I hate at the same time is that people don't know it exists. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. You know? So yeah. how much how much of your work goes into past the curation and administration, but into the outreach and, and I guess for the lack of a better term, like the marketing to, to let people know that you guys do exist and that you're a, a resource for education to the public, not necessarily just for faculty, mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. staff, graduate students. Yeah, there's a big chunk of my time that is what you might call outreach. Right. Um, it's funny how how impactful social media can be in that regard right because that is that's a that's a very important aspect of this of this type of outreach beyond that you know like i said earlier i i'm you know i'm speaking at conferences i'm getting invited to go talk here go talk there um i just talked 
at Emerson College in Boston. They had a hip hop month taking place, and they invited me to be um, one of the featured speakers. You know, yeah, right. so I mean, that's I, I'm very privileged and and humbled to be to be able to do that sort of thing. Spread the I, gospel that I'm way. also, yeah, most yeah. definitely, you know, so talking about the collection to, I mean, you know, we have reporters all the time, somebody's doing a, a blog here and there, you know, people, international people too. Yeah. Just recently, some, um, a German magazine hit me up and said, I want to interview you about what's this archive all about. Right. So, it's funny, you know, a, a ton of people do know about this, and then... A lot of people still learning, and that's yep. you know we're not we're not Avengers: Infinity War. We're not that kind of famous, <laughs> but we uh, you know we 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 are still growing and still expanding. And my feeling still is very much that we are just at the tip of the iceberg with this type of work. So okay. I'm not um, we're not slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, no, for sure. I want to one of the things the great things about it obviously is that. One of the other things the general public tends to not always be as knowledgeable as we would like them to be is that when they think of hip hop, of course, they kind of stop sometimes at music and rap music and rap music on the radio, even at that. So mm-hmm. they have a very limited understanding of, of hip hop as a culture. So obviously, when you have an organization like like yours, you have institutional integrity behind it. You know, it does perk up the ears in the right manner when they do hear about it. How important do you think it is for Cornell, for any archive that deals with hip hop? to make sure that they're dealing with the broad cultural social movement aspects, all the things, not just the music. Mm. You know, as much as I want them to be doing that, I think that it's important that each of these archives understands their own purpose and goal, right? Okay. So if if somebody says, we are going to do a hip-hop archive, okay, fair enough. Um, but we want to obviously make sure that whoever's doing that is doing so with good intentions and sort of um, trying to do right by the culture that they wish to archive. Um, Ostensibly, they see some some value in it beyond it's cool, fun, or cute, or something like that. And and I'm not saying I've ever actually heard of anybody setting up a hip-hop archive who feels that way about (laughs) hip-hop. Nevertheless, you know, as as time goes on, it's possible that somebody's not going to have altruistic reasons when they set up their hip-hop archive. So I think it's important that they have knowledgeable people in the mix from Mm. from day one and i think that's what happened here at cornell starting with johan who got all his knowledge in a rapid amount of time because he was putting this book together but in the process of doing so made mad connections with people like joe conzo buddy esquire and so forth straight from the source straight from the source and and he was a by the way uh a former executive at Warner Brothers Music. So it's like he had connections all over the place, right? Right, right. And then when the archive actually came here, uh, as I said, my supervisor did the right thing in bringing this advisory board together Mm, and sort of saying, look, as a person who doesn't come from this culture and doesn't know about this culture, I can't just be archiving this culture, talking about this material to audiences and reporters and whatever. We need to do the right thing and have, have people who are seriously knowledgeable and coming out of this culture doing that sort of work. So I think that's the most important thing for people to know. Now, if somebody, if somebody says, we want to start a 
rap music archive or a turntablism DJ culture archive or whatever, right. that's a specific aspect of hip-hop that they can focus on. Uh, you know, Tulane University has a bounce music and New Orleans hip-hop archive, okay. which is focusing geographically on their city and also on their homegrown branch of hip-hop, which is bounce music, right. am- among others, but, you know, that's like the, the most famous. So, you know, it's important, again, that everybody understands their purpose. But I take your question, I think what you might have been trying to get at, correct me if I'm wrong, is your, your question is about the sort of the, the holistic attention to all of hip-hop's elements, Right. As, a, as opposed to just focusing on the music, right? Right, right, which I think, you know, as you say, uh, it's you're not in a specific niche. Yeah, uh, so yeah go ahead. Yeah, yeah. and that's, you know, that's one of the things about us is that we make a great deal of effort to focus on things beyond music that that has been produced in the music industry. Right. All right, so the grassroots music that was coming out of hip-hop's pioneer days, you know, we have cassettes, documenting um, live shows, block parties, stuff like that. Graffiti, you know, we've got the the IGT archive. IGT, at one point, it stood for the International Graffiti Times, but it changed its name a bunch of times, but it's this um, zine that was produced uh, in the 80s and 90s, documenting mostly street art culture, as it's sometimes called, but, you know, we call it graffiti and style writing culture. We have the archive of Scene, you know, one of the golden age graffiti gods, you know. And, and it's, it's very important that we do that sort of thing in order to produce a holistic record of this culture for all times. I mean, part of my job is thinking about what people 500 years from now are going to think of this stuff, mm. right? And I need to make sure that these people 500 years from now are able to assemble a clear understanding of everything about hip-hop because we put it all together at this point in time. You know what I mean? Let me give you one more little anecdote. Just this past Friday, I was giving a presentation for a student group uh, here on campus. They call themselves the Cornell Hip-Hop Heads, which, you know, bland title notwithstanding, they're kind of a cool organization that just started up, I think, about a year and a half ago where they're, they're basically what they're doing is analyzing lyrics like a book club except for hip-hop lyrics okay all right so that's pretty fresh right nothing wrong with that in the course of talking to this particular group one of the students asked me so who's your favorite hip-hop artist and and the fact that the person said artist not mc made me say hmm i bet i can flip this whole thing on them so i started naming b-boys and b-girls djs and graffiti writers and they were all like wow we haven't heard of any of these people and i said that's because you guys might be thinking that they're mcs but uh you need to you need to expand your horizons on what your understanding of hip-hop is and that was you know that's 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 part of the educational piece man i love talking to young people who are open-minded enough to hear about to hear about hip-hop culture in this bigger holistic sense you know i mean the freshmen that's coming in this fall they were born in the year 2000. Right. They were born in the year 2000. You cannot expect, you cannot expect them to have as as clear an understanding as you and I. And that's why I'm an educator first. You know, right. being right. able to talk to people about the way things 
evolved and the history behind a movement is an important role that I don't take lightly, mm. you know? So anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's important. I mean, you hear a lot of the, you know, the OGs complain about, you know, what the younger folks may or may not have perspective on. Right. But at the same time, that, that work has to be done to, de- to deliver that perspective. It's not going to happen magically on yeah. their own. Sure enough, that's exactly right, because you all, everybody's got to learn from somewhere. And I very much embody each one, teach one as a, as a guiding philosophy. Yeah. Because, trust me, these kids are putting me on to stuff I never even heard of. Right, right, right. right. And I love that. I like, I like that I'm becoming more knowledgeable because of their knowledge and, and perspective and so forth. And the exchange of knowledge, I know what I know and you know what you know, let's talk mm-hmm. about it. That's the essence of the cipher. Of course. That is hip-hop. Right. So like the old heads lamenting, um, you know, the young kids kind of not being with it. I think it's a misplaced frustration when you encounter younger people who are open minded and are sort of like they're not going. Everything back then is whack. Right. And what's happening right now is popping. You know, anybody who talks that mess, they're going to get some frustration from me as well. Sure. But I'm not, you know. It's just a closed-mindedness thing anyway. Yeah. yeah. Like this whole, you know, you see interviews with young, like, trap rappers kind of, like, talking talking down about whatever, Biggie Smalls and DJ Premier and stuff like that. And uh, that's very clearly a uh, manufactured beef which is a tried and true method of the music industry to to stimulate attention to their product you know what i'm saying right you generate some controversy everybody's gonna start talking about you right everybody's gonna start paying attention to you don't you know as as much as i've known kanye west is certifiably insane uh for a long time all of this stuff happening with him being on tmz and when he said slavery was a choice Right. Uh, uh, he's insane to begin with, but I also think he's crazy like a fox to be right. saying no, that. He's totally getting all this attention, which is going to make everybody pay really, 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 really close attention to his next project. What's his next move? They're going to keep his name on their tongue. And and in that regard, it, it is kind of crazy how he is a lot like Donald Trump in that regard. Yeah, yeah, it's just point. it's depressing, but it's like... <laughs> You got to have some some media literacy about this stuff to understand what's really happening. Right, 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 right. Well, that's like I said, that's why it's important, I think, to help bridge that gap generationally as well. Instead of, like you say, just kind of sit back and lament. Yeah, I don't like to throw out the babies with the mumble rap bath water. You know what I mean? Ha so, ha ha! That's, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's, that's a great is. way to put it. Yeah, man. That's a great way to put it. Well, I appreciate your work in that, you know, again, reaching out to a lot of times people just kind of stick to this, especially in the academic spheres. I've been talking to a lot of hip hop ed folks and, you know, the ones that I talk to and the ones that we hear about, they don't do this so much. But I think some of the ones who maybe don't have the, the real authentic foundation, like you talk about being needed for what uh, for the archiving work. But, you know, they don't quite get it. You know, they don't quite get to that level of, uh, of understanding how important that is. And, and they stay kind of in their academic towers you know and don't realize that it's it's about reaching back into the community and helping this culture evolve and move forward kind of all together that's the only way it's, it's supposed to work i think yeah i think that's 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 well stated I, you know hip-hop in academia is you know it's becoming bigger than it ever has been and, you know hip-hop has been documented in formal academia since the very late 80s right. um if memory serves i think it was michael holman who started teaching a class at 
I think I want to say Hunter College in New York City. I, I might be misstating which college it was, but I want to say it was about 1987. Nevertheless, you should interview him about that because I'm sure that's a fascinating uh, story. But, but hip-hop in academia is, is huge right now, much more so than it ever has been. And, and if it's not, if people like you... Well, I want to say people like me, but I got my feet on both sides of the tracks. But people like you gotta you gotta be watchdogs. You gotta be cultural watchdogs, and make sure that the people who are in positions to control the knowledge for entire swaths of the population about what hip hop is, uh, what its history is, where it comes from, what it is supposed to be, th- then it's gonna it's gonna get lost. It's gonna get twisted. And, and just think about this, right? There are no more cultural watchdogs in existence for things that happened over a hundred years ago. So the people who are professors of, let's just say, for example, the Civil War era, right. uh, the American Civil War era, nobody's alive who was who was there. So there are no more cultural watchdogs, and the information is going to continue to get shaped almost exclusively by the academics. Who knows if that's for the better or for the worse. I'd like to think it's for the better as academics get a little more woke about including the narrative of slaves and what their experiences were like going forward. But right, Stuff that might have been left out. But again, you don't have those sources anymore. They're not yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, you know, it's just important that people like really get interested in in the academics of hip-hop because anybody can participate it should be a grassroots enterprise that anybody can be down with i i I love that hip-hop has produced more organic intellectuals Mm. than than formal academia has produced formal intellectuals who have been handed a piece of paper with their name on it at some point you know and again i'm just using the civil war as an as an example because it deals so heavily with the topic of slavery and you got homeboy talking about slavery was a choice well you know what kanye west is an incredibly important figure in history and a hundred years from now 200 years from now there might people might get it twisted and go well kanye west said (laughs) right and that's why it's very important that people are really speaking truth to that sort of power wherever possible you know 100 well like i said i i respect the work you do to make sure that you're handling it from your angle uh, I take that responsibility of cultural watchdog myself pretty seriously. Uh, yes, I'll sir. send you some previous works and you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, about to dig into these old podcasts <laughs> here, man, for sure. Uh, but uh, but for sure, man. So that's that's kind of the role we, we all need to play to make sure that this doesn't get turned. Because even with the academic field, I mean, it's not like entertainment business where it's clearly based on, you know, obviously what's going to sell, what a formula is going to be. But in some cases, that academic world, even though it's supposed to be rigorous and integrity filled, is going to say, hey, this would be cool to have. And it's not about being cool to have it's being authentic to the roots and the people that obviously made it happen most definitely yeah well uh, said well said so i'm listen i'm gonna let you go i got one more question this is how i kind of end this thing it's it's the it's the deep thinking moment of the of the session uh the name of this podcast is hip-hop can save america now it's probably a lofty idea you know what i mean mm-hmm. but it's not the only thing that we need to save america so i want to ask you why is it important or what do you think based on all your experience and perspectives for people to consider hip-hop music and culture when looking for ways to truly improve lives, livelihoods, and communities. What does hip-hop bring to that table? Oh, man. I'm going to echo my previous point. Um, it, you know, people who are coming out of hip-hop culture, and I mean people who are deeper into hip-hop, 
beyond oh i like to you know sing along to every cardi b song or whatever i think it's important that people who are you know exposed to hip-hop's philosophies and history and sort of the deeper sociological reasons behind it all I think it's important that we recognize that there are all these organic intellectuals being created by hip-hop culture and to the point of how it can save America I'm thinking kind of pragmatically about that actually Um, so if you've got people coming out of this particular grassroots branch let's say of hip-hop not the commercial music shit but you know getting involved in politics getting involved in you know leading swaths of society i think that's an interesting way of thinking about how hip-hop can actually save america and so one interesting thing about hip-hop is that it, it often as public enemy said likes to fight the power Right. I think it's intriguing to think about what would happen if, if instead of trying to fight the power, we become the power. Okay. And how do you become the power? Well, power is defined, you know, in many different ways. But at this particular moment in time, we're talking about elected officials, law enforcement, you know, the people in positions like mine, you know, in academia, right? If we can sort of infiltrate as the hip-hop community infiltrate those particular spheres and really get these people with that particular underpinning hip-hop as their sort of core philosophy, core identity, core lens through which they look at, at the world, that just actually might change America. I should say Save America. That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> that just might save America. And it really... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty simple concept in terms of just getting more woke people who are interested in social justice and, you know, changing society for the better in elected positions or yeah. law enforcement positions. But really, hip-hop, again, it's producing more, more organic intellectuals, more people who are woke about this stuff than any other movement um, that's not founded in something formal like academia you know so i I think that's really really a fascinating question because you're right i'll tell you what the first time i heard the title of this podcast i was like okay (laughs) can it though can it though right Right. Right. you know because because in the same way that you say hip-hop can save america we also got once again i gotta reference this because it's just been on my mind lately yeah yeah kanye west is showing his make america great again hat on social media he's saying trump is his homeboy (laughs) so that that's actually that's an example of hip-hop not in any way helping america that's an example of some aspect of hip-hop contributing to the decline of many things that are supposedly important about america right so it's just you know it's important that we don't just talk about hip hop as if it's one monolithic thing. Right, there's, right. There's, well, I think I think and that, that's that's the problem is that you know hip hop's rep gets shaped by the Kanye Wests of the world, yeah, and not enough of the Ben Ortizes of the world. Oh so, snap! You know, 
I'm, I'm that right there. I'm putting that one on my resume right Quotable. there. Quotable. Hey. <laughs> I might Quotable. get that as a tattoo, B. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. We'll talk about percentages. Um, so listen, right. <laughs> I do want to thank you for your time, man. I'm gonna let you. That's a great. That was well stated. You and I are very well aligned. That is how I look at at this subject. That is why this thing is titled that way. It's very much aligned with what I'm trying to get across uh, to our peers and also to the general public. I think the general public needs to hear this sort of sentiment so they get a better understanding of, of what you know hip hop's really about you sir personify that and uh, as does your work and your colleagues there at the Cornell Hip Hop Collection so I thank you I thank them and once again I thank you for time most definitely Manny I appreciate you brother man I'll talk to you real soon alright alright my man alright Hip Hop Can Save America is a presentation of the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy at hiphopadvocacy.org a nonprofit dedicated to increasing public understanding of hip hop culture. We're also brought to you by the Newsbeat Podcast, hard hitting journalism, including interviews with thought leaders and activists about the most pressing social justice issues of our time. It also incorporates hip hop with music and original lyrical contributions every episode. Think of it as Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. Find Newsbeat by More Creative Studios wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at usnewsbeat.com. Hip Hop Can Save America with Manny Faces airs weekly Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Bonfire Open Source Radio. With amazing programming like their flagship morning show TK in the AM, Bonfire Open Source Radio is leading community radio into the future. Check them out at bonfireradio.com or on the TuneIn app. Hip Hop Can Save America is created and hosted by me, Manny Faces. I also produce the theme music. Special thanks to our associate producer, Summer McCoy. You can find out more about me at mannyfaces.com. And find out more about Summer's hip-hop and tech-related initiative, Hip Hop Hacks, at hiphophacks.com. Thank you for listening. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.